giant robot smashing into other giant robots. This is the Giant Robot Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast, where we explore the design, development, and business of great products. I'm your host, Chad Pytel. And I'm your other host, Lindsay Christensen. And we're back. Thanks for tuning in. We've missed you. Yes. Uh, we've been kind of busy. We've been busy and, you know, we didn't necessarily, we knew we were going to take a break after the last season. We didn't necessarily know for quite how long. And then a whole bunch of stuff happened, which we're going to tell you about today. Um, You know, from the last episode, you heard about the change to the ThoughtBot CEO and we alluded to um, some changes that we've made to the company. And um, we're going to talk about those today. Yeah. And true ThoughtBot giant robots fashion will go behind the scenes and give you the nitty gritty of why things happened and how it's going because it's all really interesting. Yeah. I think um, on the surface, it's really easy to think about how maybe these changes have been entirely driven by the need to go remote or the desire to go remote. And the reality was that's an important part of it, but it really was so much more than that. Some of these changes that we've made are ones we've been talking about for a long time. And it wasn't until almost a year of operating in a different way that we said we we, we need to make some of these changes uh, in order to accommodate remote and working from anywhere. And we fell back on a lot of the, you know, other problems we needed to solve along the way. Yeah. So we actually decided to break out remote work into its own episode, which will be the Mm -hmm. next episode. And, you know, I'm sure it's going to come up today, but it's kind of, it's it's a whole other area of changes and focus. Whereas some of the reorg changes that we just underwent solved a lot or are trying to solve, I guess we'll see, right? Uh, A number of challenges that we'd been working on over the years. So I guess to start off, before we reorganized, how did we function? And that was largely geographically based. Yeah, and the geographic basis means that we had a studio in a city. And in that studio we offered the complete ThoughtBot services. And that was driven by this idea back in 2012 when we started to expand. Prior to that, we really held the company to less than 30 people. And we were primarily a group of people all in one location working together. uh, And we were all of what ThoughtBot was. And we really liked that. We liked the structure. And so, but people wanted to, move and live somewhere else. And so uh, I, I really remember the the day we were having a company meeting and, and someone stood up and, you know, our purpose is that we believe that there's a better way to work and we want to share it with as many people as possible, although we've revised that purpose now as part of this process. But it, someone said, if we really believe we have a better way to work, you know, why are we not trying to bring it to more people? Why are we losing these great team members only because they want to live somewhere else? But we also really liked that small, close-knit team of people who work closely together on client work. We had done some client projects that were 
split across teams and across time zones and that kind of stuff. And it just didn't feel as good as we wanted it to feel, especially because it was hybrid. And so we said, we know exactly what a great ThoughtBot looks like. Instead of trying to expand that great, <laughs> what that great ThoughtBot looks like, let's try to replicate it instead. And so when someone wanted to move to a new city, we said, that's great. We looked at the market in the city they were moving to and said, let's grow another ThoughtBot around them and use that as the starting point for a new ThoughtBot studio that would be a full design and development team that offers and works with all the different kinds of clients that we work with. And that was the model which brought us to, you know, uh, being in six cities in the UK and in the US and about 100 people working with, you know, a whole bunch of clients every year across those. But for the individual person working at ThoughtBot, individual designer or developer, it felt very much like ThoughtBot had always felt, which was you were working with a team of three or four other people directly on that client. Oftentimes the client would be in the same city as you. And when we could meet face-to-face with people, they'd be working in our office and we'd be working really closely with them. Another interesting element of that structure was the sort of marketing and community was also very locally based. Mm -hmm. Um, So engaging in and hosting local meetups, actually all of our offices, we had offices, first of all, in amazing locations in all of these sort of tech hub cities and all the offices additionally had space for specifically events and community type of activities and we thought a lot about nurturing local community, creating local partnerships. Obviously, the hiring pool, we're thinking a lot about the hiring pool and nurturing uh, potential future hires in, in those cities as well. Yeah, and that's what we had done in Boston where we got started. And it's very fulfilling to be part of your local community. And we wanted to embrace that as we grew. And for you know a good while, it, it worked pretty well. Uh, We were certainly able to grow quickly. Once we decided to do it, a lot of people who listened to the podcast a long time will recognize that we actually at one point had 10 cities, some of which were major, pretty established, and other ones which which we were expanding into. And we learned a lot along the way about how much harder it is to build a local business than we originally were anticipating it would be. Um, One of the things that we learned, and I've talked about this on the podcast in the past, is that with our reputation in the design and development community and that kind of thing, we could often go into a major city and like have a great first year because there was a lot of pent up demand for people who wanted to work with us, work, you know, at the company and as our clients and that really sort of led us astray in the beginning because we would go into, uh, you know, we were expanding in three or four cities in the same year and they were all super successful. So we were hiring teams to do all the work that we had. What we weren't doing was all the legwork we needed to do to build a sustainable local business. And so after the first batch of clients or the first batch and a half of clients, 
we were done working with, we didn't have a pipeline, a sustainable pipeline of new local clients coming in. And so we learned a lot about how much we actually need to do when going into a new city to not only have that great first year, but to have a great fifth year. And so we had a few uh, failures where uh, we had to close um, some studios just because we couldn't afford to operate them profitably. And that was pretty painful. I don't know what, I forget the episode numbers where we talked about it in the past, but but we have, you can go back and, and listen to it. Well, we can link them in the show notes. In addition to having the designers and the developers in the local studios, at least in recent years, we also had the structure that each city studio had a managing director. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those managing directors actually came from design and development themselves. Um, but they were in charge of everything local, uh, including and especially the sales. So finding new clients, onboarding them, um, the actual profitability of their studio, hiring. Um, and again, as you mentioned, that was across all kinds of clients, all kinds of projects, um, but primarily locally based. Right. And, you know, we went once we realized what it was going to take to build local businesses and make them successful, we refined that managing director position a lot. It wasn't one that we necessarily had in every studio. And so adding it or in some cases making the difficult decision to swap out the person in that with someone now that we understood what was necessary, making sure that someone in that position actually wanted that job and could do it. And that has been the journey we've been on, I would say, for the past three or four years of making those changes, figuring it out so that when it was working well, each of the studios could work really well. And I, we've made a lot of progress with that. But one of the problems we had, so we have all the individual studios and then we have the corporate level people, which are myself and you marketing, people operations, you know, helping all of, supporting all, all of the studios. And one of the things that has, that we've struggled with over the years is being consistently profitable as we've grown. Um, we're primarily operating break even, which historically we were very comfortable doing because we're all people, the whole leadership and shareholder of ThoughtBot and ownership all worked here. We care a lot about paying people as much as we can possibly do and having the greatest benefits we possibly can while staying sustainable. And so, you know, it didn't bother, it wasn't an issue. It's not an, we're not running the company to generate lots of profit that then go to some investors or shareholders. So operating break-even wasn't historically a problem where it started to become a problem is as we grew and grew, the numbers became large enough that when things didn't go like we were expecting and we were managing to break even, then we would be very unprofitable very quickly if um, something didn't go the way that we were expecting. And it started to put the company at risk. So we started to focus more on profitability. And one of the things that was hurting profitability is that, you know, we were maintaining these small teams with offices and just the overhead of a small team was um, across many different geographies added overhead, which made it harder to be 
profitable because we needed to do everything in each individual location. Right. So now really getting into those kind of big challenges that were pressuring us to rethink how we operate. Profitability and margin was a big one, which, you know, once you look at the breakdown in the numbers, the overhead of uh, having the different studios was one. I think that also kind of bleeds into the MDs have really challenging positions. Mm -hmm. Um, They're responsible for a lot. Um, You know, they're responsible for the happiness and fulfillment of their teams. You know, they're doing business development. They're doing client management. You know, they're in charge of their entire revenue sheet. So that was another area that I think, you know, over time we were consistently looking at how do we improve this role? How do we make it so that folks can be successful here? And, you know. Well, you can imagine too, that designers and developers at ThoughtBot, we, we were seeing a similar thing, which is mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, ThoughtBot is modeled around me and other early developers. And I would often tell people, I really like a lot of variety. I like to be working on one client and have huge scaling problems and challenges and we're working at and growing their business to a whole nother level. And I like rotating off of that. And I then like working with a startup where we're building the first version of the product. And for some people, no doubt, that is exciting and challenging, but worth it. And same thing on the sales side for managing directors, like being able to know how to effectively communicate and sell to the needs of each of those different kinds of projects. You know, it's totally doable, but it adds to a lot of effort and angst being spent on just always trying to do everything and both on the development side and the managing director side. And it's harder. (laughs) And that was one of the challenges that uh, we were hearing either sort of explicitly or in a lot of cases, I don't think people realized it was happening. You know, when, and I think when you have everyone at ThoughtPot is amazing and is great and very high execution level and all that stuff. And when you start getting challenges or feedback about poor performance from a great performer, you start to question like, what, why is that? What's going on? And it's sort of an unrealistic expectation to have someone work in as part of a large enterprise for six months. And then next week, have them working on a brand new startup MVP that's got to go to production in six weeks and necessarily expect them to, on a dime, be able to change their approach to managing that product and making sure that it's successful. And, um, you know, like you said, we want to put people in a position where they can be as successful as possible in everything that they do. And having good people spin their wheels or, you know, even if it's not a performance problem or like a, a switch. If there's a level of interest for an excitement for one kind of client over another, 
we have a system of collecting feedback about what you want to work on and rating the incoming projects. But the primary determinator for what project you work on was which one was starting at the time your other project was ending. That was the primary determinator. So people effectively had no choice about the kind of project that they would work on. And that mm-hmm. was a common complaint that, that we heard from people is that lack of control. And even though it wasn't supposed to happen, mm-hmm. I think, you know, people did have reputations for a specialty mm-hmm. and, you know, the managing directors or whoever was staffing a project would seek out, you know, certain folks for certain projects. So even though we were, we liked to think of everyone as being able to handle any kind of project and at a basic level, they could for sure. People with specialties were sought out for things. So that was already kind of happening organically. Yeah. And, and related, but even uh, going deeper on it, when we're maintaining small groups of people that are a complete replica of everything that is ThoughtBot, and it's a group of nine to 25 people, that ability to specialize or to have a career path that extends, you know, the company you're part of feels like a 20-person company. And in a 20-person company, there's naturally not going to be tons of room for a big career ladder and lots of advancement or specialization. You will trend towards having a team of people that are um, more spread across, more generalized and less hierarchical. Were there any other kind of big challenges that uh, come to mind for you when we were going into like, let's revisit how we're structured? Well, there were, there was one that touched on all of what we just talked about. And that was uh, design, design mm-hmm. and thoughtbot. And this is one thing that's super interesting. And I, and I think that I think I've talked about it on the show before, but like we started from day one as a design and development company. We've always done design and we've always had people on staff that did it. And one of the things that happened though is being the first consulting company in the world to switch to Ruby on Rails and being a big contributor to that community and building a reputation through our open source and through our blog and everything on the development side, that part of the business has grown. The development team is much larger than the design team. And a lot of people in the world view ThoughtBot as like, oh, they're a Rails development company. And that really wasn't, you know, what we've always talked about is, is, is Rails is in service of the products that we want to design and build and creating great products. And so design has consistently been a challenge over the years as the reputation um, there um, isn't as big as on the development side. And so what we saw in the individual studios where each individual studio needed to have a certain number of designers in order to feel like it had a design team and to be able to service the work that it did have locally and a management structure within that team that made sense. It had all those problems that we've just talked about. It was difficult to be profitable. It was difficult to have enough local work for the two or three designers that were in a studio. 
and that specialization for what they would do and the kinds of projects that they would work on didn't always match the actual work that we had in a particular city at a time. And so because we were organizing the work that we did geographically, it wasn't uncommon for a designer to be, to not have client work to do. Mm -hmm. And that hurt the design team because we were attracting these great designers and people are at ThoughtBot because they want to build great products. They want to do great work. And then they join the team and they're not doing it. Um, and so design turnover has been much higher than other parts of the company um, for that and you know other related reasons. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I actually I have a question for you. Yeah. Because you... I think started you and Diana started down this process before I was involved. So for you, when did reorganization first start? Well, as I alluded to at the top of the show, we had been talking about these kinds of things for a while. And, you know, you, you, I think you were part of most of those discussions as part of the management team where it'd be like, Oh, should we break out design or, And there wasn't really this clear when our strategy for the last many years has been strong local studios bound together by a common purpose and values. And we were pretty, we were feeling pretty good about that strategy. (laughs) So these problems would crop up and we would evaluate them in the context of that strategy and say, no, we're reaffirming our strategy. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't until having gone through 2020 and looking towards what 2021 was going to be like and saying, you know, we've got all these things we that could be better, but one thing we know that needs to change is we can't go through another year of everyone sort of planning for all of this to be temporary and to be back to the way that we were before. We had already been breaking down the, the geographic barriers of studios because many projects were being staffed across offices at a much higher level than ever was before. And we had given everybody the heads, the, the, the thumbs up to move wherever they wanted and we were going to support it. And we had about 20 people move from places where we had a studio to places where we didn't. And so it was really that that sort of crystallized the need to, you know, I didn't know exactly what we were going to do going into it, but this feeling like we need to do something mm-hmm. uh, because we can't, um, even if we, we can't stay in this limbo state for another year, which is what we were predicting in terms of how long we were going to be in the current operating mode. And even when it does come back, we now have 20 plus people who don't live where we have offices anymore. So we can't go through this next period of time expecting things to just go back the way that they were. So that was when we knew that we were going to do it. So I, I guess that was at the end of November or beginning of December of 2020. Mm hmm. It was exciting to have this push 
to do it. As you mentioned, like we talked about different options before, like Joe had come up with, I remember like really clever kind of like squad based team proposal. We kind of thrown around, you know, you know, should we do like an industry based team structure? But I think what was really missing was like a push, a driver, uh, you, you know, you have to, because uh, it was like, well, everything else is, it is kind of working okay the way, the way it is. What if this is a big mistake? And, and so we wouldn't move forward. So we had these major drivers to decide on something and then went into what I think is a really successful and, you know, fascinating like uh, series of kind of brainstorming and iteration sessions pretty quickly as a leadership team to hone in on what we've ended up rolling out. And we, I think one of the things that I appreciated, and it was Diana who did this, was saying like, let's make sure we reaffirm or or re reevaluate, revisit our values and purpose as part of this process. And when when you have a company that is driven by va- driven by values and purpose, it's important when you're making big decisions to revisit them so that they're helping guide what you actually do so that you don't you don't get off track. And we anticipated that the change was going to be big enough that maybe even the value we like we need to be open to the possibility that the values are the purpose would change or should change in the process or had already changed and we hadn't reflected them. And so that was a part of it, like expecting to go into it doing that. And then, you know, we can't have a, or maybe we could, but like we decided it wasn't realistic to have a hundred person meeting, right? So again, we use the tool for a lot of the things we do at ThoughtBot. We treat ThoughtBot like a product of, in and of itself. And, you know, we use the tools and techniques as designers and developers on that product itself. And so we did survey the team to get their thoughts around purpose and values and around what it had been like to uh, work remotely and just uh, a few questions in general about how they felt about projects and work and that kind of thing. And then we took that information that we had gathered from the team into the design thinking and brainstorming sessions with the leadership team, which is the managing directors across all the studios and the design and development directors, and then the corporate leadership. Yeah. And at I'd say at the forefront of these exercises and decisions was, you know, how do we ensure thought botters are fulfilled and also how do we provide the most value to clients uh, and where those things intersect? How could we potentially reorganize ourselves? And this is <laughs> these sessions are like some of my favorite things to do, even though, you know, can be maybe stressful times that are uh, uh, driving these exercises, but doing these kinds of, you know, really open brainstorming, design thinking exercises, problem solving with our team who is full of just the smartest, most thoughtful, kindest people, I find incredibly fulfilling and 
really drive amazing outcomes. And I don't know, I kind of, uh, I'm a sap, I guess here, but <laughs> like I get, it's, I start to feel like, oh my gosh, I know why our clients like love working mm-hmm. with these mm-hmm. folks. It's a really powerful exercise and you come up with really amazing ideas and outcomes. Yeah. I, I had a thought as you were saying that though, that uh, I agree and I think, but I think you could do exactly the same thing, but not be committed to actually making a change. If you were just doing it as it would drive me crazy <laughs> because, um, and I think that that's an important component is that we went into it saying something is going to change. We d- we don't know what it is. We define problems and then we come up with solutions to those problems and we are going to make a change. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the difference between, you know, the previous sort of, we're all sort of venting or trying to, you know, do it in a, in a leadership meeting. And I, you know, I think offsites and brainstorming sessions and that kind of thing get a bad rap, but um, when they're actually necessary and when they're done well, and when you have a group of people that is committed to improvement and actually making a change, they can be really great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think you all had set out like a goal, you and Diana, that is set a goal schedule of how this would work, which is kind of, you know, we're do coming up with <clears throat> ideas as an extended leadership team, which is what maybe like 18 people. Mm-hmm. Um, and doing that, we booked uh, half day, maybe a bit more. Obviously, this is all virtual. And we'd have different sessions where we were breaking out into smaller groups of maybe like five people randomized each time and working through a specific challenge or coming up with a specific proposal, then re- reconvening as the ex- uh, extended leadership team and running through those proposals. Um So that would be like the first individual day. And then you and Diana kind of went off with the, those proposals and ideas to make some executive decisions really um, around, you know, what you thought made sense, then repropose that to the extended leadership team uh, for feedback and iteration with the goal that, you know, every week we're getting closer to the kind of final, final thing that we're going to roll out to the team. And, and also, by the way, how do we roll that out? I'm curious from your perspective, how that worked, because we didn't go into the process expecting it to work that way. Well, I guess we did. When Diana and I were planning it, though, we initially started from a different place. (laughs) And then we realized this is going to be too difficult for a group to converge on. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And it probably does need us to go and make some concrete, like force a convergence basically, and then go back and make a proposal. But I'm curious what what you think about that. Oh, I think you absolutely have to do that. (laughs) Okay. And that's the way I operate too, even from like a marketing perspective is, you know, take input and ideas and see what folks think. But at at the end of the day, 
you can't make a group decision. Um, you know, so, someone has to kind of make an executive decision based on what they've heard. Mm-hmm. So I thought that worked well. Plus, I was in the group that kind of came up with the idea for the reorg we chose. I don't like want to brag about it, but uh, it's a great decision. <laughs> so yeah, I guess getting into like what that actually was, what we ended up deciding and are moving, have moved forward with, was breaking out the teams. So keeping like a team-based structure, but no longer geographically based, but actually each team based on the types of clients and client projects that they're providing services for. And obviously those services are, are tailored to the, the type of client projects. Mm-hmm. Should we go through them? <laughs> yeah, we should go through them. Okay. So, th- I mean, this the naming came after the fact, but we also had a lot of fun with kind of branding and naming uh, these teams and went all in on the rocket theme, Mm -hmm. as you'll hear. So we've got four main service teams. The first one deals with the earliest stage uh, products, kind of pre-product, so Mm -hmm. validating ideas. And that is ThoughtBot Ignite. The next team deals with more MVP, V1, but not really a quick projects, like uh, longer MVP types of projects. And that is ThoughtBot Liftoff. The third team uh, deals with, uh, you know, more established companies and teams who are elevating their product and teams to the next level. That's ThoughtBot Boost. Uh, and then finally, we've introduced more DevOps and maintenance services under ThoughtBot Mission Control. And they also manage our uh, sort of PR reviews as a service uh, reviews by ThoughtBot. Yeah. So that's, that's the quick overview of the four teams. You've got Ignite, Liftoff, Boost, and Mission Control. And the interesting thing about the team structure and what each team was going to focus on is that once we made the the decision that this was, or, you know, there wasn't really a lot of question around, around what those teams would be. We knew these different project types existed. Um, it was something that we have documented and, and like it's in our marketing. We, we have, positioning statements already like for each of the a lot of these client types were already created there's we have a internal consulting class that people take about 20 people a quarter take it and it goes over the different kinds of clients that we work with and the different needs that they have and and how to work with them and it was split along these lines now there was some detail some small details on the edges to be worked out but what was difficult was making the decision to do this. Once we made the decision to do it, the teams were what those teams would be was pretty clear. Yeah. Obviously I love it from a marketing perspective, like breaking out these different types of of clients makes so much sense, right? You're talking to them about different set of needs, goals, pain points. Um, So there's great focus and clarity there. 
And then that trickles to everyone's job, really. The managing directors now are responsible for, you know, one of these service-based teams. The designers and developers themselves are, you know, specializing and really enjoy uh, that type of work. And in the breakout group during these brainstorming sessions that I was in, I remember, you know, when we're starting from this place of anything goes, I was asking the directors in my group, what do you think makes our team fulfilled? Are they more interested in like a specific industry? Are they more interested in a specific technology? Are they more interested in a type of client? And the directors in my group all said, you know, I really think it is the type of project Mm -hmm. provides fulfillment in different ways for different folks. So we took that as a starting point then it was, okay, well, what are those different types of clients if we could put them into four or five buckets? Yeah. And Ignite and Liftoff are uh, really interesting to me because it's a good example of where the lines can be effectively drawn. So you alluded to it already. Ignite is for the earliest of products and teams where the idea hasn't even been validated yet. And they need our help determining whether it even makes sense to proceed at all. And then when we do validate it, the size of what we're building and and the speed of which we're going to be able to get to market falls under 12 weeks. It will typically fall in the eight to 10 week range where we've gone from that concept that we validated to a launch product in the hands of users. And you know they're they're ruthlessly prioritized they're usually pretty straightforward both on the tech side but also like you know in the the develop what we need to build and that is very different than the um and i think one mistake we've made in the past is taking large finance and healthcare companies and these large companies that we also work with and trying to do the same thing that we do for those Ignite clients for them. And ending up in a place where uh, maybe we haven't done as good a job or the project doesn't go as well because we're trying to squeeze it into a place where it doesn't fit. And that's what Liftoff is, is creating a space where it fits, realizing that a client who comes to us with this massive need, it's not massive because they're doing too much. It's massive because they have a big problem that they want to solve, usually for a business that already exists. And it's a new product within that business. Maybe they've even already validated it. And the integrations that it's going to have, the systems it needs to talk to, the level of scale that it's going to have, is different than uh, is going to be possible in eight to 12 weeks. And when we try to squeeze it in there, it's, it's not going to be successful. So liftoff is giving a place, a, a space for those projects to thrive in a way. And I also think it's one of those things where it's going to have an impact on our sales too, because what would happen previously <laughs> is that, Um, one of those clients might come to us and we're like furiously trying to squeeze it down and how a client perceives that is, is potentially like, oh, 
they don't know how to do what we need them to do, or they don't want to do it, or they think our idea is bad because they're saying we need to validate it and we've already validated it. We have, you know, an existing business that we're building this off of or something like that and causes us to lose that work, which we would otherwise love to have. And now a client like that comes and is talking to a managing director who gets the needs of that kind of project and a team of people that are going to work on it that understand that, you know, there's a process to run through. It's going to take six months or a year. We're going to launch along the way, and then we're going to continue to grow the product from there. It's just a different feeling all around, which I think is going to have a positive impact on our ability to actually grow that those parts of the business. Yeah, and lift off you know, by nature of working on those health tech and financial products is also dealing with highly regulated Mm -hmm. spaces, which is another reason why those projects are necessarily longer uh, and more complex and uh, lend themselves well to someone who's uh, dealt with it before. Right. Another thing, and we we touched on this a little bit earlier with, with, with Boost, you know, a big part of our business um, historically is that those clients that have built in rails along the way, they've built a su- super successful business. They're scaling a lot. They're growing their team. They need technical leadership, experience, mentorship. And those projects tend to be very development heavy as well. Like we have clients where we have four or five developers working with them and and no designers. And it caused the design and development team to be very lopsided. But we really like that work and it's very valuable to clients. And so same thing with Boost. Boost, instead of that being something which is sort of pushed off into the back where like, oh, well, it's not the project-based integrated team of designers and developers launching a new product. And so it's, you know, it's not our ideal work. It gives a space where that can be our ideal work and the kinds of people who want to work on those kinds of projects with that level of experience and need feel like they are able to do that on a team that is, that is focused on that. And that team doesn't necessarily need to have a design team that works or looks the same as every other place at ThoughtBot and creates a place which can focus on what it needs to do in the best way possible that is the most fulfilling to the team and to and success for, for the customers. And it looks different than ThoughtBot has historically looked, and that's okay. Because it actually, when you pick it apart, it's not that different. It's just taking the 20% of all of the ThoughtBot studios where the 20% felt like sort of a you know, something that wasn't quite right and putting it all together to make a hundred percent of something that feels right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And from the design perspective, boost design is a lot around optimizing what already is in place or helping take care of design debt um, that's been neglected, making sure design and development are talking to each other and and thinking about those processes to make them talk to each other better. Um, Whereas liftoff 
and Ignite are more introducing mm-hmm. design or design processes or design frameworks, you know, like putting your di- design system together or thinking about your accessibility processes, those kinds of activities. But the, And then mission control is probably the newest to ThoughtBot in terms of services that we're offering clients. Yeah. And within mission control, there's two big areas that are different. So the, the first is maintenance. So we historically have been project-based at ThoughtBot. And what that would mean is that, well, it doesn't necessarily mean either. So historically project-based plus everyone working on one project at a time. I think the combination of those two things meant that, you know, what we mostly did was we helped people set up their own team of people who is going to take over from what we had done after we launched the first version of the product and and level it up from there. And most of our clients got to the point where the goal was to become self-sufficient. And we also would meet people who had already built something and were just looking for our expertise to help take care of it, but not necessarily have enough work for someone full-time. And for both of those clients, we didn't really have a solution for them. And so that's where the maintenance team in mission control comes into play because it's a team of people who have opted into splitting their time across multiple clients. The contracts are different where you know they're paying a monthly Um, recurring maintenance fee for us to take care of certain things every month, security upgrades, patches, small bug fixes and features. Um, Maybe they even have a team on staff where they're doing um, the majority of the development work, but they just want our support in helping things go well. And we also, you mentioned the reviews, the pull request review service that's within mission control as well, where we have a separate service where you can sign up and you just uh, request a pull request review from ThoughtBot. And then one of our team members goes on and gives you feedback on that pull request. So that's one part of what's happening in mission control is that that maintenance work. And then the other is uh, DevOps and infrastructure is an area where the majority of projects that we worked on across all of ThoughtBot were deployed to Heroku were, um, or the teams had their own DevOps and infrastructure people. And creating a specialization of that for the handful of projects that an individual studio might have that has that need over the course of a year, like it never made sense. It it didn't, but once we started to do it and we took a more global view to it and said like across all of our clients, what is the need either met or unmet and what might we be able to do? And where is the interest of our team? It became clear, like we could offer, like our clients need, need us to do this sometimes. And for the clients who need us to do it, we want to be there for them. We want to do it. And creating a team of people that is global, that can do it across time zones uh, 24-7 is also one of the needs of the clients. And working from anywhere has a lot and having that team span those geographies is one way we've been able to do that when historically we would have shied away from that. 
Yeah, and speaking of the team's interest in you know different areas, different services for the rollout of the this new organization, we by and large had folks opt in to what they wanted to do. Even uh, you know as far as the managing directors picking what team that they were going to head up. Yeah, so so we actually survey. We, we said these are what the teams are going to be, and we did a company wide presentation, and, and then we asked people to submit their first and second choice, and then we made a decision around which of the managing directors were going to do what, and then we announced that to everybody. Actually, am I saying this the right way? Did we announce the managing directors before we asked everybody, or just before the deadline was up? I think it was uh, trickled in. Okay. Okay. So first it was, um, what team do you want to be on? But then as that's going on Mm -hmm. behind the scenes, like you and Diana having discussions with the managing directors around where they want to be. And then as that information became available, you shared that with the team also to help, you know, with Mm -hmm. decisions. Same with the the design development directors. I think that announced the design and development directors chose the teams they wanted to be on and lead. And then once that was kind of finalized, that was also shared with the team as they're voting on where they want to head. And the majority of people got their first choice and the majority of people, their manage the person who was their manager also chose a, a similar choice. And so There was a lot of change, but not too much churn, I guess is the way I would put it. You know, we were able to do it in a way which I think people felt like they had a choice and that, and I think going into it, people didn't, were afraid of that. Like, okay, am I, am I going to make a choice here and then end up on a team of people I've never worked with before? Mm -hmm. That was not the case. Now, there's certainly a big blending of the teams, particularly Boston and New York were the biggest studios. And so, you know, they're, they make up the majority of the people in each of the uh, boost and liftoff, but people are working with people that they worked with before. Right. And it turns out the people they didn't work with before, also awesome. <laughs> right. Also very cool. Yeah. I mean, we, we so much effort over the years has spent that strategy of replicating what was great about Thoughtbot into other geographies is true. And so the standards that we had for hiring and the kinds of people we hire and the screening for values fit and all that stuff led us to a place where everyone at Thoughtbot is great. And so I wasn't really concerned about that. But other people may have been because there's always sort of a a fear of the unknown. Yeah, definitely. I'm trying to think if there were other rollout things that might be interesting. Well, one of the interesting things, it's it's a little, you know, in the details, on the surface, that is the teams and those are the services we offer. But we also needed to contend with the fact that we are in the US and the UK. And we didn't really feel like it makes sense to have those teams span 10 plus time zones, um, that that would be too far of a stretch. Um, and 
it would you know affect people's fulfillment on the team as well as the the services we're able to deliver so though these services that we offer are actually fulfilled by two platforms i don't know what do we have a word for for it <laughs> the geographies geographies yeah i guess there are two geographies mm-hmm. that ended up naming right. launchpad one and launchpad two right because rockets right so launchpad one is all of the americas and launchpad two is europe middle east and africa and so they provide all of those services in those places but they have teams that are formed across the whole geographic region mm-hmm and then, you know, eventually, if all goes well, we'll have Launchpad 3, and that'll be <laughs> the other side of the world. I've got the uh, icon ready and waiting for when we pull it out. Yeah. So I guess timing-wise, this all happened, rollout was by the beginning of the year, right? January? Yeah. Be- the holidays, you know, <laughs> one of the things is more people took more time off between like the December holidays and New Year's and everything than have ever done before. And it's, you know, we needed it. We all, everyone needed it. So it took, we, we weren't able to finalize like what team everyone was on and have a conversation about that with everybody before they were told, you know, sought in a message somewhere, which we really wanted to do. So we ended up not being able to finish all of that before the end of the year. And so it it sort of rolled into the first couple of weeks of January as people came back and we were able to talk to them. And then I think we we made the public the the internally public announcements about all the teams everyone was going to be on and we sort of did a formal kickoff. What was it the January 8th or something like that? Yeah, and I think that's actually a really good point to bring up is the communication to the individuals. It was important for them to hear it one-on-one from their manager before you know anything was announced more broadly. And then to transition to their team, if their manager was changing, which in a lot of cases it didn't, but sometimes it did, having you know one-on-one-on-one transition meetings to really ease the that move that was also important to not make this really abrupt and unnecessarily stressful in a time that is already very stressful yeah even if someone's direct manager wasn't changing it was very likely that their director would change and so in those cases, we still did a one-on-one-on-one, but it was with the new director sitting in as well, sort of a skip level one-on-one-on-one. Mm-hmm. And we did it quickly, but it was, you know, it was important to make it happen quickly. Yeah. And it was also important to not abruptly change on the clients because obviously we weren't doing a full stop of client work just because we're doing some reshuffling internally. So that was, you know, phased and, you know, we, we didn't even really make it a a big deal to the the clients because that probably would just added confusion. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) As we were making these changes. And we, we made the decision that we weren't going to just arbitrarily move, you know, say this person is now on this team, therefore they have to leave this project. So 
we made that decision and we sort of like have um, as natural points in the project for a rotation happen, people will move to the project. If, if there's a mismatch between the project that they're on and the team that they're on, they'll move at a natural point for making sense. But the reality was that a lot of people also chose, <laughs> we don't have, it's not like we have 57 different project types. We have three. Uh, and so a lot of people were already working on the project type that they chose just because that the odds were good that they were. Mm-hmm. There's been very little um, customer facing impact to it. Mm-hmm. So where, you know, it's early days, it's March now. So it's been a couple months, but where do you think, you know, how do you think it's going or where do you think the, the growing pains are? Hmm. Good question. I think there's been more smooth transition than there's been growing pains, first of all, which has been nice. Um, I think folks, you know, have been pleasantly surprised by really enjoying their their new teams and new team members. Um, I think growing pains wise, you know, on the operations side, obviously we've had to I think are still in the process of figuring out how to best pipe certain kinds of inquiries into the right team and managing director. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, sometimes it's a no brainer. They're like, I need to validate this idea. It's like, boom, you're off to dawn for ignite. I'm going to have a conversation there. Um, But if, you know, they come in and they say, I'm working on an MVP and we don't know if that MVP is Mm -hmm. one of really fast ones or one of the more complex ones, then it's like, okay, is this going to Don or Emily? And and we historically didn't need to have any handoffs because one person was able, one person and team, it was based on geography. So we knew exactly who was going to be having that conversation with them. Mm-hmm. So operationally, you know, it's actually one thing we didn't touch. So no one was let go in this big <laughs> reorg. Everyone, there was a position for everyone I guess if they wanted it, but one area we haven't touched on is anyone who was local, who was in a support role, moved up into the corporate level in a support or operations role. So that's been a little, you know, and there wasn't that many of those people, but like, you know, the part-time, the office manager in Boston is now full-time in people operations and the office manager in New York City is now operations manager for the whole team, the whole company. Kelly, who was doing business development just in Boston, is now helping across all of ThoughtBot, which is a really good at you know using her skill set across the whole company. I think that that's, that's good. And now, like you said, figuring out how to support everyone across the teams is a little bit of, of a, whether it be the operations manager figuring out how to get people computers when we hire new, new people to, you know, like you, what you were saying around inquiries coming in and making sure that they're, they're, they're sent to the right person. The thing that has made it more challenging for me is that just a confluence of events at the time where we were making some of these changes and now has made my involvement different than I was originally expecting them to be. Um, I expected to be a little bit more involved in certain things, but because I've been pulled into several 
important client projects and was working on client work at the time that then expanded very rapidly. It's been challenging for me to manage the workload, but in some ways it's actually, there's a bright side to it, which is it's giving other people the space to operate without me, which I think is, can be, can be good. Because I'm very confident in everyone's, what everyone's bringing to the, to the table. And um, when you go through a big period of change like this, if everyone was deferring to what I thought as the founder or looking for me for answers or permission to do something, I think that we would suffer for it. And so being forced in a way to not be available for every uh, thing that's going on is a way for people to have more ownership over it and not, not be reliant on me. And I know that they can do it. Mm-hmm. Cool. So we never taught, we never said what the new purpose was. So maybe we'll just talk a little bit about that and then, and we'll use that as a wrapping up point. Sounds good. So I mentioned Earlier, our purpose had been that we believe that there's a better way to work and there's always a better way to work and we want to find it and share it with as many people as possible. We had written down that purpose several years ago, like a decade ago, I think. And, you know, I believe a a good purpose describes what actually is the underlying motivation for the company and the people at it. And when we did that survey of people, you know, a few of the questions we asked touched on it. And it wasn't that surprising to me about uh, one of the threads in, in that was this idea of positive contributions to the world, making sure that the things that we work on and do have positive contributions to the world and that being a motivating factor. Like that's part of what makes the team tick and what they want to be doing and are fulfilled by and that kind of thing. And so we incorporated that into the purpose. And so we just did the wording a little bit to to make that incorporation, but we ended up that we believe that it's always possible to continuously learn and improve the way people work while building higher quality products that make positive contributions to the world. I particularly, this resonated with me in a way that are, it's a little bit more wordy. That's not why it resonates with me. Specifically, our previous purpose of we believe that there's always a better way to work and we want to find it and share it with as many people as possible lacked one thing that I think a good purpose can incorporate, which is what is the, a clear idea of what the alternative is, like what you're fighting against or what you're trying to improve. It's there in the previous purpose. So in theory that there were... There, there, there maybe are people out there who believe that there's not always a better way to work, that they've achieved it or, or something like that, but, or that they have particular practices which aren't great, but it's not like explicit or really even like implicit in the purpose. And the new purpose, they're actually it, like that we believe that it's possible to continuously learn and improve the way people work while building higher quality products and make positive contributions to the world means you can point to someone who might believe the opposite of that, that you can't build higher quality products that make positive contributions to the world while also continuously learning and improving the way that you work and everything that like to build higher quality products or make positive contributions to the world, you might need to 
compromise on the values of continuous improvement and learning. And our new purpose has sort of makes a statement that you don't need to compromise in order to achieve that result. And I like that about it. Yeah, I I really like the addition of, you know, talking about the kinds of positive products, because I think once you once you know ThoughtBot at all, you know that that's underlying the purpose. But, you know, take out the guesswork. Just tell the folks. All right. Well, I think that's a good place to stop. Um, I'm glad we didn't even go into the remotes remote because there's obviously a lot to talk about yeah so we'll talk about that next time yeah we're going to talk about what changes we've made in going completely remote and what that looks like what we think it looks like for the future cool so you can subscribe to the show and find notes for this episode at giantrobots.fm if you have questions or comments, and we'd love to hear them, email us at host at giantrobots.fm, or you can find me on Twitter at cpytel. And you can find me on Twitter at lindsay3d. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot. It's good to be back. Thanks for listening and see you next time. It's so good to be back. Stay tuned. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. ThoughtBot is your expert design and development partner. Let's make your product and team a success.